Kayla mentioned the, the Advent devotional. I hope, I hope you're using this, or if you're not, if, get started. Um, we sent the link to everybody. We can resend it to you. Um, we were not able to get enough of these actual printed copies. Christianity was out of stock, but they gave us the rights to send and print up to 200. So uh, if you haven't started yet, I just want to encourage you. It doesn't take long to read it, and it's just wonderful. Different authors uh, that are, are, are writing these. Um, last week, the, the theme of the week was My Whole Being Waits, and if you were here last Sunday, uh, Michael Trout from Wyman uh, shared from that theme of waiting, and he said, oh, over and over again, we, we look at what is and what is to come, what is our, our life in Christ, and yet what is to come, the fullness that he will bring. And he talked about waiting now, and, and it's an act of waiting. It's a, it's a waiting that we anticipate by, uh, by, by living fully with Christ, by identifying with those people that, uh, that Kayla mentioned in her thoughts this morning, so uh, with ministries of compassion and mercy. And this isn't what my sermon's about. This is just the inter- I'm, I'm not even, I'm introducing the introduction right now, but I'm just saying... Um, uh, I love this, and it's providing some great guidance for me personally, uh, as well as um, uh, for the themes. I've, I've read ahead into the coming week, and to prepare for this morning, uh, the theme is prepare for the Lord. And it says here on, on the page just opposite uh, where it says prepare for the Lord, it says, uh, This week consider the events that took place in the lives of Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph as they prepared for the arrival of Jesus. Elizabeth and Zechariah, of course, the parents of John the Baptist, and then uh, Elizabeth's cousin Mary anticipating the birth of Jesus. I love it because all that preparations, it's about babies. It's waiting for babies. We're waiting for baby Jackson to come in a couple weeks, right? Katie's here and the baby. Just, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see the baby soon. Uh, but we love preparing and expecting and waiting for babies. It's all, and, and they, these texts here in Luke chapter 1 is about these two special babies. Part of the expectation and the preparation for a baby is, 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 is just the questions of who will they be? Uh, what will they be like? Uh, who in our family will they look like? Will they do great things? Or may, more basically, some of us as parents look at our children and say, will they turn out okay? You know, you know that phrase, you know? Oh, my kid, you know, we did that. We did that when they were young and they turned out okay. You know that phrase, you know, they turned out okay, whatever the definition of that is. One of the big questions as we anticipate the arrival of a child, of course, is, is gender. And it's only been in the lifetime of many of us in this room where it's been possible to know that. We saw that technology develop as our children were being born. We, weren't, we didn't want to know, but we really didn't know. The, the first uh, sonogram we had uh, 37 years ago of our son Grady was kind of a, just a blob, um, but uh, it showed that there was just one there, and then there was two blobs the next time Megan was pregnant. And, uh, but the third time uh, Megan was pregnant with our fourth child, um, because of some issues with his heart, we asked, sure, sure, we'll know. So we knew it was a boy the fourth time, but the first three times we were surprised. Some of them, even today, a couple of our children have chosen, they want to know. One of our, uh, another one of our children says, no, we want to be surprised at the time of birth. Also now, for those who do want to know, you know, we keep developing these new rituals now, and there's a new ritual called the gender reveal. Have you heard of the gender reveal? That's, you know, now it's not just, oh, by the way, we're having a boy. It's like, we're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a great unveiling, and we're going to tell you. Um, well, I was, I was looking through my Instagram feed this week, and I saw one of our Arizona friends. When we were in Arizona, we had several students from the University of Arizona worship at our church, and uh, two of them were Angie and Seth, and they ended up, after we left, they ended up marrying and uh, are living in the Pacific Northwest, and I love following her stuff. And she had a screenshot. Uh, she's a nurse now. She's an oncology nurse. And, and the title of the, the slide is How Nurses Gender Reveal. So we can, this is a screenshot. You maybe can't see it very well. Who's a nurse who can see what she's holding outside the door? 
Okay, it's a male urinal, so it's either having a boy. So okay, uh, uh, and and it's and it's one of those you know it's it's a it's a movie which like that. So anyway, that's how she chose to reveal uh, gender reveal. And if you knew Angie, you'd go totally fits, right? Yeah, yeah. So we can move on to the next slide, so you're not staring at a male urinal. But in the stories of Elizabeth and Mary, um, there was gender reveal. <laughs> And the gender reveal was by none other than the angel Gabriel, who told both Elizabeth, or Zechariah in one case, and Joseph and Mary at two different times, that the babies they were having would be boys, and they would be remarkable boys. They would be high-expectation boys. As the story unravels and folds and folds of Zechariah and Elizabeth and this miraculous child they'll have in Luke 166, the people of Judah hear about this remarkable boy and the circumstances around his birth and ask, who then is this child going to be? Who is this child going to be? And the answer taps into the deepest longings of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And if we look closely, I think it can tap into the deepest and highest, deepest longings and high expectations that we have as well. This is what I want to look at then, that the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah is one of longing and expectation. Longing and expectation. As they prepare for the arrival of their baby, God is preparing them to discover that their, their deepest longings and their highest expectations will be met in Jesus, the Messiah. And we hope to make the point that so too are ours. Longing and expectation. We look at Elizabeth and Zechariah's story that the Penards did such a great job of reading for us this morning. Even with Vincent even played a role in it, didn't he? Yeah, so that's great. Zechariah is a, a priest, and there was thousands of priests. An entire whole tribe of Aaron was a, a Levi, and the descendants of Aaron were priests. Elizabeth was from a priestly line herself, though not a priest. There were those in her family. Elizabeth and Zechariah are decide, uh, described as, as, as a very faithful couple. They are righteous, they are blameless, and they are childless. There is a sadness to their story. There is a brokenness to their stories. We meet them. They are aging. They are unable to conceive. We would guess that she is no doubt past the age when usually a woman would be able to conceive. And this childlessness is difficult in any culture over history and difficult to this very day. But in that culture, it was also a great source of shame and disgrace. And so Elizabeth and Zechariah are longing and waiting. But they are the ones God chooses to bless and use. We meet Zechariah as he has this opportunity to serve in the temple. And it's an opportunity that doesn't come along very often. It might even be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But it's interesting the way they're chosen. It's not a, a, not a spreadsheet of when you'll serve. It's a, they're chosen by lot, which means like a flip of the coin or Sort of an ancient God-guided rock-paper-scissors, if you will. And as Zechariah's turn to serve in the temple. And as he goes into the temple to, we assume, light the incense, he's approached by the angel Gabriel, who says to Zechariah, Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. 
And Gabriel goes on to describe the child and how he will prepare his people for the Messiah. He will be a fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3, which says, A voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Gabriel says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, and he will make ready, make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Longing and waiting, but now they have this miraculous announcement. A miraculous announcement. It's hard for Zechariah to believe. It's beyond his wildest longings and expectations. Those have been deep, but this one? Perhaps it had never crossed his mind. Not only that he would have a child, but he would fulfill this. And so he questions the angel and says, how can this be? And the angel goes, you don't believe. And he loses his ability to speak until a baby is born. I don't know. I think Gabriel was a little impatient with Zechariah. This is big news. But it's the way he chooses to do it. But as the story goes, it is Elizabeth who is the one who is literally, of course, expecting and waiting. No doubt wondering about this baby and who he will be. I love the way Luke writes chapter 1. I mean, I've read it for years, but it just struck me this week that this is from the beginning of Luke up through verse 25. And then Luke does a meanwhile and shifts to Gabriel going to Mary. The Annunciation, as we called it. We were in the Church of Annunciation in Nazareth this summer. And The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that she will have a child. And then she goes to visit Elizabeth, her cousin, as a matter of fact. And and the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb when she sees Mary. And then Mary breaks forth in her song of praise. My soul doth magnify the Lord. All that happens. And then we come back to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke interweaving these stories of these miracle babies. The stories come back then together with Mary going to Elizabeth. And now it comes to the joyful birth. The joyful birth. And verse 57, as we jump to it, says this. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. The whole community is excited. Just like when we have a baby around her here, you know. We're all, we're all waiting for baby Jackson, you know. We're excited when babies come in. In this case, this miracle baby, everybody's excited. There, then the baby's born, and then there's this great story of the naming of the child. I love this part of the story. Let me read. On the eighth day, this is all in Luke 1 if you want to follow, but Luke 1 picking up at about 59, I think. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Did you get this? They didn't, didn't believe the woman, but they believed the man. But that's another sermon. Anyway. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Elizabeth's and Zechariah's story of longing and expectation now opens up as he's able to speak and give witness to what happened in the temple and to name this boy John. We know his middle name was The and his last name was Baptist, right, later. But his name was John. 
And now Elizabeth and Zechariah, uh, th- their story of lying expectation now connects with the people of Judah. They, the, the people of Judah now are excited about what God is doing in this. Have they seen this sort of miraculous birth and this naming of the child by an angel? The, the longing and expectation of the people connects here as too. And it says, all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. This is, way, this is social media before there were devices to do it on. Social media was blowing up in Judea. Do you know what happened to Zechariah and Elizabeth? Did you hear about their baby? He's not Zechariah Jr. He's John. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. It's a question we ask and wonder about all our children, isn't it? I think of that when they're little, now that we're experiencing the joy of having little grandchildren and seeing them grow up. It reminds me of the years back when you, you waited for them to really become, they're already born, but when they're a baby, they just kind of eat, poop, and sleep, you know? And, and yet, yet, as they get a little bit older, you start, to, you start to wonder more and more about their personality and, and what will they be like. Many of you know our grandson, Oren. He's almost 18 months old. In the last few months, this little, he's doing much more than eating, pooping, and sleeping. He still does that too, but he, he, um, his little personality is just sort of bubbling up. And now we're waiting for him to speak. You know, it's when they start speaking, when you really kind of get a, a better idea who they are. Now, now, Orin is speaking. Oh, he, he's very clear. I mean, he, he points at things, he wants them, he has his word for them, but we're still not exactly sure what they all mean. We are longing to get to know this little boy better as he grows and develops. And we have expectations that when he does speak, he will have a lot to say. (laughs) Expectations for our children. The people of Judah wanted to get to know this kid better too. Hoping this miracle baby would be part of the way forward. They too were, were living in the same dark time of oppressive Roman rule that Jesus would come into. They were living in times where peace was very fragile in the land where they lived, just as it is today. They too knew the prophecies and they were longing for the Messiah. Is this miracle baby somehow connected? And we have an answer. We hear of the answers to that longing and expectation in what really is Zechariah's hymn that comes now in verses 67 to 80 of Luke 1. I can almost picture Zechariah cradling his baby boy, cradling his miracle baby, his high-expectation offspring. This kid really will be a high achiever. (laughs) Cradling this baby and saying, what will this child be? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And proud Papa becomes prophetic proclaimer. And Isaiah speaks these words. We sang them in our opening hymn and connects the Old Testament prophecies and promises with this miracle baby. And longings and expectations come to life. First of all, he speaks of, of the one, the Messiah, not John, but he speaks of the one who will be and says that the, this one will be the horn of salvation. 
In 2 Samuel 22, 3, it says, The Lord is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Horn is sort of an odd Bible-sounding thing, isn't it? But it points to strength. It points to the, the strength of an animal, that the horns were the place of strength, the focus of power for the moose, for the bull, for the rhino, is in the horns. Jesus is where all the power of God is focused. That's the one to come. Zechariah goes on and to speak of how this one to come will be the, bring salvation from our enemies. Psalm 106.10 says, He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the land of the enemy. He, from the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. Vivid there. They, when, when Psalm spoke enemy, they knew Egypt. They knew Rome. They knew Assyria. They knew Babylon. They knew the enemies that God over and over again had rescued them from. But they always came back under oppression. And yet this one will be salvation from our enemies. He goes on and says, this one will help us remember the covenant with Abraham where God says, I will bless you and you will bless the world. That's all about the Messiah to come. And then Zechariah, as he looks ahead, also looks at this baby he's holding and he speaks to his boy. He says, you, you, my little son, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. The prophet Malachi said, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. And we already quoted Isaiah 43 that talks about the one who will come to prepare the way. You will prepare the people for the forgiveness and salvation that Messiah brings. And you, little John, you, little John, and Jesus, the one to be born to Mary soon, John, you will introduce this one, and this one will be the light to come. This one will be like the rising sun that will come and shine on those in darkness. The people of Palestine knew the promise in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 that said, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Zechariah speaks this beautiful hymn, these amazing words in every single one of them. And I didn't even choose all of them, but all of them are a fulfillment of the scriptures, all of them are a fulfillment of Old Testament expectations. There are high expectations for both of these babies. The one who will prepare the way and the one who is the way. Talk about two kids turning out okay. Actually, John turned out to be kind of weird, really. <laughs> when you read about John later... He's out in the wilderness. He's wearing animal skins. He only eats locusts and wild honey. He's nuttier than the guys on the street corner saying, repent and be saved. I'm telling you, John was kind of weird. But God used him. And people flocked to him. You know, it's not that quick a trip from Jerusalem to the Jordan. It's not down the street. It's a windy downhill road that takes at least a half an hour in a modern bus. It was a couple days for them to get from Jerusalem to the Jordan where he was baptizing, but they did it. 
because this message was tapping into this, this longing and this expectation. It didn't matter how weird John was. All part of the preparation, all part of God getting us ready for meeting the longing and the expectations, for God reading, meeting the longing and expectations of his people. And what about ours? What about our story? This season, this season of Christmas, Advent, the holidays, whatever we call it, is sometimes a, a season of extremes, isn't it, in terms of longing and expectations, depending on your age, depending on your budget, depending on how things are going in your family and your life. Sometimes there are simple longings for a specific gift. Sometimes a longing for time with special people. Sometimes our expectations are high and sometimes our expectations are way too high. Expectations this season can so easily ramp up to perfection. The gifts must be perfect. The decorations must be perfect. Oh, and the photo card. Oh man, has that thing gone wild lately, right? The food, the outfit, on and on. It seems there's a dark side and a downside sometimes, the longings, longings that are unfilled and expectations that are unmet. Because also with our sex expectations set on high, the, sometimes the old hurts and the enduring griefs don't go away. Sometimes those relationships you wish were better, were better. And anxieties over health and finances don't go away. In fact, they get amped up during this season. And they all make it hard to connect with the happy, happy, joy, joy that's proclaimed around us with the same old music over and over again. I think in this season, sorry, I'm really throwing you a downer of Christmas time, but stick with me here. Because I think this calls us to go to our own deepest place of longing and expectation. It's why we need to go to our place of deepest longing. And when we get there, we usually discover that our deepest longing doesn't have to do with stuff and maybe even relationships ultimately. But they have to do with a sense of of meaning. Does my life have meaning? And then there is the relational piece where the sense of the deepest longings have to do with relationships. Are, are they of value? Are they significant? Are they growing? Are they bringing me meaning? And is it a place where I'm pouring into another? And then there, it doesn't get, it does, the deepest longings don't just turn on inward. Eventually when we get to the deepest place, they begin to turn outward and they become turned towards significance too. Not only do I have meaning, but it says my place in the world. Do I have a place in this world where I make a difference and impact others, and care for others that are feeling this darkness and pain, where I could share with them that even in the dark places, I have found light and hope in Jesus. Meaning and belonging and significance even, or especially, especially in imperfections of our own life. We're all living with unmet expectations. And yet many here, even living with unmet expectations, are finding God at work every day. Christ in us. Jesus at work in us.
Today's devotional is uh, from Pastor Joy Elizabeth Lawrence, who actually happens to be uh, on staff at our Covenant Church in Hinsdale. Joy is a pastor of spiritual formation. I know her husband is on staff at Christianity Today. And um, she writes about Jesus' naughty family tree, K-N-O-T-T-Y, naughty family tree. But she plays on that later. Let me just read a part of it. She talks about the family, the lineage. The, the, uh, when you go to Matthew 1, when you say, I'm going to start reading the Gospels from Matthew 1. And you, you read Matthew 1, and you go, that's a long, boring genealogy with names that are really hard to read. I hope nobody ever, ever asked me to read that in church. That's, that's the beginning of Matthew 1. But she traces it, and she sees these places of, of brokenness and pain in it. And she says, and she comes to the person of Rahab, who was the prostitute who helped the spies get into uh, Jericho to conquer the land that God had promised. And she picks up and says this. Rahab's story contrasts greatly with the kinds of stories our culture tells at Christmas time. Stories of happiness, of material success, of glitter and glamour. Matthew is clear that the family tree of Jesus was not a symmetrical, pristine fir. Who looked for a symmetrical fir this season? You don't have to raise your hand. But Jesus' tree was not. It's naughty and naughty. <laughs> N-A-U-G-H-T-Y. And complicated. This was the family Jesus entered. The world Jesus entered. And we're honest, it's the world in which we all live. Advent isn't just a Christian word for the days leading up to Christmas. The otherworldly call of Advent is to a life of resistance to the small g gods of this age as we wait with 2,000 years of Christians before us, as we wait for Christ to come and finish his new creation. The work he is doing in us is the work of new creation, and he's not done. It's the work he's doing in us as we struggle to learn and find our way through these things, longing for healing, longing for restoration, longing for a way through it, and yet experiencing it as we share the life in Christ together. It's the work that he's doing in us and the work that he's doing through us as we care for those around us who also walk in darkness. Elizabeth and Zechariah longed for a child. And when he was on his way, they were filled with high expectations. And as they prepared for the arrival of that baby, God was preparing them to discover that their deepest longings and highest expectations will be met in the one that that child would introduce, will be met in Jesus the Messiah. And so too are ours. Let's just take a moment of silence, even before the band comes, just time to reflect on your deepest longings and expectations and how they might be met in Jesus today. And who in your world needs to know that good news? Just take a moment of silence. moments of quiet when our mind can go so many places but we ask that you would just take our thoughts captive to you Jesus thank you that the heart of the season 
is a waiting, a longing, an expectation that is met in you. I pray for those in the room today, Lord, that are unsure of where they stand with you. That this would be a season, Lord, when they connect with you as friend, as Lord, as light, as hope, and as the one to guide us through this life. I pray for those, Lord, who are reassured today that they know you, Jesus, deeply and well, but that you would ready us to have on our hearts those who don't and those who do walk in darkness, Lord, longing for something, expecting something. Give us boldness, Lord, and not only boldness, but compassion for those who need to know. We love you, Lord, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.